All right, well, welcome back to our series called The Path of the Exile. But before we get over to 1 Peter, I want to check out what I think is one of the strangest verses in all of Scripture. There's a ton of strange verses, but I want to look at this one because I think this is really strange. But it's also the shortest, and it's in John chapter 11, verse 35, and it says this, Jesus wept. That's all it says. And many of you guys know the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was one of Jesus's friends and Mary and Martha uh, also. And so there's this story uh, in scripture where Jesus is walking along with his disciples and he gets word that Lazarus is sick and he's dying and come immediately. But Jesus doesn't come immediately. And eventually Jesus makes his way there. And finally, by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus is dead and everyone is crying and they're weeping and they're mourning and they're blaming Jesus. And Jesus goes up and he starts to walk up to the tomb and then it says that Jesus wept. And I asked this question, like, why did Jesus weep? And one of the reasons I think this is one of the strangest verses is because Jesus knew what was going to happen next. He knew what he was about to do. He knew the Father's will. He knew that he was getting ready to call Lazarus out of the grave and that he was going to be alive and that there was going to be joy and everyone was going to be happy. And yet in all of this, Jesus Wept, And there's many theories, I think, as to why Jesus did this. But I think one of the reasons that Jesus wept is simply because this. He knew this is not how things are supposed to be. He knew that death was not how it was supposed to be. He knew that Lazarus was not supposed to be dead. And we're in a time right now, and many of you guys might be in a personal time right now where things are not as they are supposed to be. So what do you do in a time when things are not how they are supposed to do, are supposed to be? Because maybe you're in a season like that. We all are in some sort of season like that with everything that's going on around us. So what do you do? Well, you can weep. Yes, Jesus did. And maybe we should. But if all we do is weep, this is where most people stop. They just get in a season where these are not the way things are supposed to be. And we just stop and we get paralyzed. And if Jesus would have stopped there, he didn't just weep. The the Bible says that he took over. He took authority. He changed the circumstances. He pushed back darkness. And and he rose Lazarus from the dead. And that brings us up to this scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. And this is where we are in our series, The Path of the exile. It says this, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Let me just say it this way. If you're not resisting Satan's plans, or if you're not resisting the devil's plans, you may actually be resisting Jesus's plans. Let me say that again. If you're not resisting the devil and his plans, you may actually be resisting Jesus and his plans. You say, well, or I could have a third option. I could do nothing. No, nothing is a decision. Nothing furthers an agenda, actually. And so Jesus, if all Jesus did was weep, there would be no miracle. And so we have to dig in our heels and decide that we are going to not give Satan any more territory in our life. We are going to resist him and push back the darkness just like Jesus did. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, let's continue. It says, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you in his, in his, to his eternal glory in Christ, will restore himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Some people might read that and say, well, see, look, I, I don't really have to resist. Jesus is going to do all these things. Jesus is going to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. I want you to see something, and point number one is this. Jesus will supply us, but we're in charge of the resisting. Yes, Jesus will restore. Jesus will confirm things in us. Jesus will strengthen us. Jesus will establish us. But I want you to understand it says he will restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. It's, it's a list of things that he does for you. This is not a list of things that he does to the enemy. This is a list of the things that he does for us. So what does this thing resist mean? What does resist mean? It literally means to oppose to be hostile towards, to outweigh, and to stand against. Those are some pretty aggressive words, right? I remember when we were kids, and I have four brothers, and so uh, we were kids, we we had a lot of fun, but there was this uh, small town that we lived in, and there was this neighborhood kid who was a real annoying kid. How many of you guys have ever had like this annoying person in your life? This was one of those kids. He's just an annoying kid, and he would come up, and he would do things to us. He would, he would mess with us in different ways. He would mess with our stuff all the time, and our parents told us, you, you don't fight back. You don't mess with him. Keep the peace, and so even though there were five of us, and one of him, he was kind of allowed to just do whatever he wanted. And he would come and he would do all kinds of things that would just be annoying, right? And so finally one day we went on vacation, we came back from vacation, and he had somehow gotten into our stuff and he had stolen a bunch of our stuff. And this like crossed the line with my parents. My parents were like, all right, that's fine. You guys do whatever you need to do to take care of this problem. And so that was music to our ears. And I remember the next time, the next day, we went up right up to our property line. And and we were all lined up on our property line. I mean, it was like a Western movie. I mean, we were ready and waiting. And here comes this kid, the annoying kid. He came and he started coming up and doing his thing just like he always was. But he did not realize that the rules had changed. And so he came up and tried to do something to us that day. And I remember we started to run after him and we ran and chased him. I I guarantee you he's never ran so fast in his life. He had no idea what was getting ready to come and he's running as fast as he can and one of my brothers came and clipped his heel and clipped him together, his legs together and he went flying through the air and crashed and burned in the dirt. It was awesome, guys. I'm not going to tell you which one of my brothers actually did that, but it rhymes with Ben. And and so this guy did not understand that the rules had changed. We What happened? We finally resisted. We were not going to allow him to come in and to mess with us. We were not going to allow him to come in and to steal from us. We finally decided that we were going to resist. It's active. It's not passive. Some of us have to understand that when things are not the way they're supposed to be, it's okay to resist. It's okay not just to sit and weep. It's okay to actually be active and not passive. It's okay to be mad at the devil. Amen. So what did Jesus do? Yes, Jesus wept. But what did he do after he wept? He used his words and he called Lazarus out of the tomb. And so he called the miracle forth. So so how do we resist? Three ways. And it has to do with that word, word. The first one is this. We stand against him with the word, the word of God. 
We oppose the lies. We oppose his schemes and we oppose it with the truth of God's word. What did Jesus do when he was in the wilderness and Satan kept trying to come and to attack him? What did he do? He used the word of God and he said, it is written. One of the ways that we resist the devil is simply by using the word of God. And I'm not talking about like cherry picking out scriptures for everything. But what I am talking about is no matter what you're doing and no matter what is standing against God's plan, in your life, what, whatever is rising itself up against the ways of God in your life, there is a scripture promise that we can speak out just like Jesus did. So we stand against him with the word of God. The next thing is this, is we stand against him with our words. So we looked at the shortest scripture in the Bible. Let me show you the other shortest scripture in the Bible. And it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. It simply says this, rejoice Always. Here's an example of using our words. When you speak out your words, it has power. If God created everything that we see by his words, what was he doing? He was showing us an example that words have power. James chapter 3 verse 17 and 18 says this, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Here we see a law of God in action. We see sowing and reaping. Your attitudes, your commitments, your lifestyle, your reputation, your, re your relationships, they all really are connected to the words that we've sown in some way or the other. And so if you don't like the harvest that you're getting in your life right now, it could be as simple as sowing some new word seeds. Maybe you've been speaking death over your situation right now. Maybe you've been speaking depression over your situation right now. Maybe you've been speaking despair or hopelessness. Listen, I'm not talking about trying to just be fake or fake it till you make it. I'm talking about through the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking out our words and making some declarations because the truth is this. Our words are either agreeing with God's plan for our life or they're agreeing with Satan's plan for our life. We have to align our words to agree with God's plan or we may be not resisting the devil, but we may actually be resisting God's plan in our life. We've got to get our words on the right side of God's will. And then finally, we do it this way. We stand against him by the word of our testimony. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says this, and they conquered him by the blood of the lamb. That's what Jesus has done on the cross. He's already done that. But we also do that by the word of our testimony. It's the, the goodness of God that we reach back into our past and the testimony of God and we speak that out. I remember a line from when I was a kid and, and just kind of was circulating around and it said something like this, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. I thought that was pretty cool. But also I want you to understand this, Satan does love to give us a selective memory where we will only remember the bad things in our past instead of the good things. And he's always speaking that. We have to remind him uh, whenever he comes and tries to bring his lies, we remind him of the goodness of God. So we actively use the word of God. We actively use our words and we actively use the word of our testimony. Jesus will supply us, but we're in charge of the resisting. Why is this important? It's important because of this, because some of us are losing the battle with the enemy without ever 
putting up a fight. Let me say it again. Some of us are losing a battle with the enemy and we're not even putting up a fight. And I believe it's because of this. Watch this. All right, I'm going to tell you what that is in just a moment. But to set it up, I first have to ask you this. Have you ever told a story to somebody that when you were telling the story, you knew that they thought you're probably lying about this? I had that experience years ago. He took me back to about 2002, I think it was. I was up at a friend of mine's house. He has a cabin up in northern Missouri. And I was a youth pastor, and I was getting ready to prepare for a youth camp. And so I wanted to go by myself for about three days and just kind of spend some time with God and just pray and so I went up there, I was by myself, basically in the middle of nowhere, and it was kind of late in the evening, it was getting ready, the sun was starting to go down, but I was looking over the hillside and could kind of see, it was a tall grass, it was a little bit different than this, but it's tall grass, and I was looking over the hillside and just kind of staring off in the distance, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I saw out of the tall grass, a mountain lion jump up and start running down the hillside. So I didn't stick around, I turned around, I started running around the side of the house, I ran inside. I locked the door. I grabbed whatever I could. I grabbed a big old knife from the kitchen and I was just waiting. I was completely terrified. And so I've told that story to people and they're like, no, you didn't see a mountain lion. There's no mountain lions up there. You haven't seen any mountain lions. That's crazy. And so the, the fact of the matter is whether I know what I saw and it was a mountain lion, but whether it was a mountain lion or a house cat, either way, the same result was that it was there. I was terrified and I was running. And that leads me to point number two. And this is why some people even and they lose the battle without even putting up a fight. And it's, it's because of this. Point number two is this. Satan doesn't need the teeth. He just needs the roar. Satan comes about like a roaring lion. Now, I've told you guys this before, but my wife and I, before we got married, one of our favorite movies was The Lion King. That just recently came back out, so we went to see it again. And there's a famous scene at the end of the first song where Mufasa gets up, and at the end of the song, he roars. And in a, in a theater with the subs and the sound system, that roar is intimidating. It's awesome, but it cuts right through you. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And if you've ever been like in a zoo or something like that, when a lion actually roars, it's awesome and terrifying at the same time. And you know what I'm talking about. And that's what Satan does. He goes about like a roaring lion. He, Satan wants us to hear the roar and run. And most people won't stick around to see if there are any teeth behind the roar. So whether some people say, oh, it was just a house cat, a large fat house cat, or that was a mountain lion, I wasn't sticking around to see if there were any teeth. I heard and I saw and I ran. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants us to hear the roar and run before there's even even a battle before we even resist him at all. I want you to know this, that last scripture that we've read, it says that Jesus has the dominion. Jesus has the dominion. The Bible says that Satan bruised Jesus' heel. That's because Jesus was busy kicking out his teeth. And so many people don't stick around to see if there's any teeth behind the roar. And I can tell you, Satan lost the battle at the cross. His teeth are gone. All he has is is a roar. That leads me to point number three. He has one more strategy though. Point number three is this. Satan looks for someone to devour. He looks for someone to devour. That's what his strategy is. And if he can get you away from the pack, you're easier to take out. It reminds me back when I was in Montana on my sabbatical and I went out hiking by myself with the Grizzlies. Watch this. I've been hiking for 
six to seven miles so far and I think I still have three to four to go but I'm coming across this wide open vista here which you can't even get a an accurate feel I think way over to the right those little spikes over there could be could be Yellowstone from where I'm positioned at uh, could be big sky big sky might be in front of us though Nevertheless, never made it to the lakes. The trail kept wandering off and I've been on this trail for hours and still haven't seen a, sir, a single other person. Okay, I'm about two miles in. I got my bear spray because there's signs all over saying that this is bear country. Make sure you have your bear spray with you. Uh, make noise as you travel and uh, don't travel alone. So uh, I'm doing some of that. I've got my bear spray and I've got some noise and uh, I'm traveling alone, but uh, it's only three more miles to the top and then five miles back. So should be all right. Satan is looking for someone to devour. So all those warnings around me in Montana, don't hike alone. Why? Because grizzlies are more likely to take you out if you are alone. But most of us in life, we end up more like me that day when we're just like, well, it's just three more miles up. It's just five more miles back down. And we try to go it alone. Listen, Satan, he loves to try to get us isolated. He loves to try to get us on our own and to get us off by ourselves. Because if you're off by yourself, it's a lot easier to lie to you. It's a lot easier to deceive you. It's a lot easier to discourage you. It's a lot easier to take you out. Look at, at this scripture in 1 Peter chapter 9, all these relational connections we could see all the way through 1 Peter. But I want you to see this here in this scripture we've already looked at. It says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Reminding us that we are connected with other believers. So I want to do something. I want to be really real with us today. There are so many in the church today and during this season where, and I'm, I mean our church, but also the big church right now, the capital C church, where we've tried to swing the pendulum so far. And we've said, okay, we can't gather together. It was never about a building anyway, so we can do church online and we can, you know, we can do Zoom meetings through groups and we can do all these things and, and it's okay. We, it was never about a building and we've swung the pendulum so far. And, and the truth is it's not about a building, but I want you to understand something. Let me just swing it back the other way just a little bit. Things are not how they are supposed to be. This is not how church is designed to be. This is not how you were designed to live the Christian life. You aren't designed to live the Christian life through Zoom meetings. You aren't de designed to live the Christian life just by watching through a screen. Things are not how suppo they're supposed to be. Can we do communion at home? Yes, we can and we should. But you also are designed as a believer to do communion, communion with a community of believers. That's what we see in Scripture. We see a community of believers. Can you work? Worship at home. 
Yes, you can. And you should worship God every day at your home. But that is not the only place that you are designed to worship. You are actually designed to worship in a community of believers together in the same place at the same time. God designed it that way. It's not about a building, but God designed us to be together. Can, can you do all of these things and put on a happy face and try to swing the pendulum over here and say, well, we can still do this. Yes, you can. But it is not how how it's supposed to be. This is not how God designed it to be. And before we run away too far as a church and say and try to put on a happy face and try to put a, a square peg in a round hole, let's just acknowledge really quick, let's just acknowledge that God designed us as believers to be together. He didn't design us to do individual Christianity. He didn't design us to be discipled through a screen. He didn't design us for any of this. These are all tools and supplements, but God designed us to be together. God designed us to be in the same room together from time to time and on a regular basis. The scriptures say, don't neglect meeting together. That wasn't talking about virtually meeting together. I know the Bible wasn't talking specifically about our technology, but it was talking about face to face talks about laying on of hands when you pray for somebody there's a physical contact that happens there's power in that physical contact that 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 can't happen any other way so we have to acknowledge you were not designed to do this on your own there's a story in the bible of this guy who was sick and he he couldn't get to Jesus, but he heard that Jesus was coming. And so he had these four friends and you guys, many of you guys know this story, but these four friends picked up his mat and carried him to where Jesus was. But even when they got there, the house was too full. So these guys were so determined. They climbed up on the roof. They start tearing off the roof and they lower this guy down. He gets healed. He gets his sins forgiven. And it's an amazing story. Too many of us, though, are trying to carry ourselves to Jesus. Can I just tell you there are going to be times in your life where you are not designed to carry yourself to Jesus. There are other people in your life, other believers, the body of Christ, that are there to carry you to Jesus. What am I saying? I'm saying what we're in right now, We can we do it? Yes, it's a season. Can we do it? Yes, because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Can we see the gospel even for, move forward? Yes, we can, and through innovation. But this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how we're supposed to live our Christian life. We were designed to share the same space. Believers are designed to breathe the same air together. This is how we are designed. We are made to do it this way. Even, was it about a building? No, it's never about a building. But even in the early church, when the disciples were persecuted and they scattered and they went to the house churches and all of that, I want you to understand it wasn't just a family in the house. It was families in the house. So even in the persecution, it's never about a building, but it is about gathering. It is about connecting and it is about community. And before we swing it too far, let's swing it back and let's at least acknowledge this is not how it's designed to be. So what do we do? Well, maybe we we weep or something. I don't know. But we have to at least start there and to acknowledge that before we move forward. I, I believe that if we, all we do is weep, though, we are not resisting the devil. We may be actually resisting God's purposes in our life. So, so you say, well, what do I do? Well, here's what faith does. Faith pulls the future into the now. And some of us, even though we're in a, a place right now where we can't gather, you say, Pastor Sean, you're 
preaching a message that we can't do. What, what does faith do? Faith pulls the future into the now. And so here's what I would challenge you to do. Begin to call out by faith what you will do when you can. Begin to write. Some of you need to decide when this thing is all over, I'm not going to go it alone anymore. I'm going to get into a real life group. I'm going to get into a, a group with believers. I'm going to get into a Bible study. I, I'm going to be faithful serving side by side with other believers. I'm going to find an outreach to serve in somewhere. I, I'm going to not go this alone. And you need to prayerfully make that decision that I am not, I'm going to be together when I don't think I need it so that it'll happen when I do. And so we need to prayerfully make a decision. And I want to challenge you, if that's you, Write it down. Begin by faith. Say, this is what's going to happen when I can. I'm going to do this. You begin to write it down. You begin to write it down. You begin to put it on your wall. You begin to get an accountability partner. Tell somebody about it. You pull the future into now. You say, I'm no longer going to be a casual Christian. I'm going to be around community of believers when this thing is all over. Resist the devil and he will flee. So what I want to do right now as we close is I want to pray and we're just going to resist it right now. Some of you have had challenges in your life and Satan's tried to get ground right now. Agree with me. Use your own words if you need to and begin to put this into practice. So God, we thank you right now that you are large and you're in charge, that everything is under your control. And right now we use the authority. You have the dominion. It says that you have the dominion in that last scripture. And we speak out that dominion that you've also delegated to us. And we resist any attempt of the enemy to try to gain ground during this time. We acknowledge we're not designed to do this alone. And even though we're separated right now, we, we declare that when this comes, when this all blows over, we are going to be united. We're going to be together. We're going to encourage one another even more than we ever did before. And we declare that by faith right now. So Satan, we put you on notice and we say you are not going to have any ground in our life. We resist you with the word of God, with our words and the word of our testimony. And we declare victory because of it's already one for us in Jesus name. Amen. Guys, as we close, listen, there might be some of you guys who are watching this who you have never decided to follow Jesus. You might be living life on your own. You might have done your own thing, your own way. And I, and I try to in, give an invitation for everybody that I can as often as I can that listen, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He paid the price. He washed them away. He rose from the dead so that you could have eternal life. That was the doorway to have a relationship with God, not based on what we do and how good we are, but based on the perfect life of Jesus, the Son of God, who paid the price for us and He laid down His life for us. And if you have not been following Jesus, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, you can even do that right now. You can pray and, and the Bible says, what you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Here we are again, using our words, declaring some things out loud for, the, for anyone to hear, but most importantly for us to hear and for the enemy to hear and for Jesus to hear. And so right now I'm going to lead you in that prayer. If that's you, if you need to surrender your heart to Jesus. So right now, Lord, we thank you for what you've done on the cross. We believe that you died for us. We believe you paid the price for our sins. It's not based on what we can do, but what you have done. We believe that that price on the cross, when you died on the cross, it washed away our sins. And we receive that good news by faith. We receive your grace 
that we didn't earn, but we receive your grace and we believe and declare that you rose from the dead and that you give us eternal life. And we want to walk in that eternal life right now. We turn from our old ways and we turn to you in Jesus name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for watching. Uh, stay connected with us until this thing is all over and we get to see each other once again face to face. Just know we're praying for you and we'll see you next time.